0: You're listening to the IBSC Living History Project. I'm Tom Batty, IBSC Executive Director, and it is a privilege to be with you to introduce conversations with much-loved and deeply respected members of our community who helped establish and define the IBSC. Through the IBSC Living History Project, we aim to understand the forces that called the IBSC into being, particularly around the challenging times that many boys' schools faced in the late 80s and early 90s. Our conversations with past board chairs and executive directors will focus on how the coalition came to be, highlighting struggles faced and successes achieved in growing our association into the hub for learning, networking an advancement we all enjoy today. This will be a piece of history for our organisation. It will also show that whilst so much has changed, much indeed remains as it was in those early days of foundation. We will highlight the strengths of our community and create what we hope will be an interesting story for boys' schools and their communities. In part one of the IBSC Living History Project, Bruce Collins sits down with Rick Melvoin to reflect on the early days of the coalition. Rick spent his entire career in the world of education. A graduate of Harvard College with an MA and PhD in History from the University of Michigan, Rick served as teacher, coach, theater director, dormitory resident, and History Department Chair and Dean of Studies at Deerfield Academy. After five years as Assistant Dean of Admissions and Financial Aid at Harvard, Rick became Head of School at Belmont Hill School in the United States and served there in that role for 25 years. His experience in working with schools and boards runs deep. He was elected to the Board of Overseers at Harvard and he served on the boards of the Windsor School, the Haverford School and the Epiphany School. He also has served as president of the boards of the IBSC and the Headmasters Association. Currently, Rick chairs the Governance Committee as a member of the board of Facing History and Ourselves and chairs the programme committee for the Stepping Stone Foundation. All who know Rick have been touched by his innate grasp of the relationships on which education is founded, his generosity of thought and deed, and his unfailing desire to improve the lives of young people. Rick, it is indeed a pleasure to welcome you back to enlighten again all in the coalition with your wit and insight. And I add my thanks to those of us all for all you have given and continue to give to the IBSC, and most importantly, its schools, teachers, and boys.
1: It's wonderful to be speaking to a, uh, another great supporter and of the IBSC and someone who has been part of the coalition for uh, many, many years, Rick Malvoin. Um, it's wonderful to have you with me speaking about the history of IBSC and maybe some of the things we can learn today from what you and your colleagues learned in the early years. Welcome to this conversation. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for including me here, inviting me. So, Rick, let's start with just your involvement in IBSC as the organization came into
2: being and then became a more stab- established coalition. The IBSC has been one of the joys of my professional career and a huge part of my time in my tenure as head of Belmont Hill School, which spanned 25 years from 1993 to 2018. And in thinking about the IBSC, I I like to think that I was present at the creation. And I can talk a little bit about that. Belmont Hill had a dynamic young director of admissions named John Farber. And in my first year in the fall of 1993, John came to me. It was a time where many Boys' schools in the U.S. I won't speak for other places around the world, but many places, many schools in the U.S. were really struggling on the admissions side. And John, being innovative and thoughtful, had been working at helping Belmont Hill's admissions, but he'd also done some broader thinking about admissions as it related to being a boys' school. The prior year, he had at least the legend has it, been sitting at a bar with his friend, Ed Kowalczyk, who was the head of admissions at the Hill School, then an all boys school in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. And they were commiserating about the challenges they faced. And they decided that they would see if there might be a few people from a few boys schools who would be interested in coming together. So in the spring of 93, they gathered a few people, I believe down at the Hill School and talked about whether there was enough there to go forward. Fast forward to me, it's the fall of 1993, I'm a brand new head of school, and John says, we've got an idea, we think we should host a conference of boys' schools and see what work we might be able to generate. And not knowing better, but actually being very interested in it, I said, that's great, go to it. And so in the spring of, or during the course of the 93, 94 year, and then in June of 1994, we launched a conference we had, I think, about 30 schools there. There was no IVSC when we started. There was simply a gathering of boys' schools, but it was international, and John and others had done a good job of bringing some really provocative speakers together. We had David Riesman, famous certainly in the United States, a sociologist who wrote a book called The Lonely Crowd. We had Bill Pollock, who was in the midst of writing a book called Real Boys, which became a best-selling piece. Um, Professor Richard Light of Harvard, who was a statistician very interested in um, in education and thinking about if we wanted to, to measure how boys' schools were doing, how we would think about it. And in, in bringing these people together and others, we there was great energy. There was great positive feeling. And under a tent on the chapel lawn at Belmont Hill, gathered representatives from these 30 schools and coming out of that, decided we should create a group and see what to make of it. Um, Our keynote speaker that weekend, and it was a weekend conference, was Rick Hawley, then the headmaster of university school in Cleveland. Um, The group decided that Rick should be the first president of the group. In working toward a title, the I of the IBSC was critically important from the beginning. We wanted this to be international, We wanted to learn from one another. We didn't want it to be about media or public relations, but rather we wanted it to be from the beginning to be substantive, to be research-based, to be thinking about best practices and hoping that we could learn from one another. And the success and excitement of that conference led us the next year to be in Cleveland and then Toronto, and we were on our way. I wonder
1: in the early years, you know, you've, alluded to some of the challenges that were at play that were making it challenging for, for boys' schools. What are some of the those tensions that brought a group of people together to have conversations about what boys' education is and why it's so important and why it needs to be promoted um, by a coalition of schools?
2: I think it's critically important to remember how serious the situation was for many boys schools and in some respects for the best of reasons. I don't think this is just an issue of the early 90s or the late 80s, but I think if we go back to the 1970s and have a broader view of it, there were huge concerns about equal opportunity for girls and for women. And in thinking particularly about schools, at least again with talking about the United States because I I can't speak authoritatively about, about other schools around the world, but there was a wave of co-education of schools, um, the boarding schools, the day schools in, in the United States, and, and the feeling was that girls had been deprived opportunities and it needed to have a place. Um, there was a seminal work in the U.S. published by a woman named Carol Gilligan called "In a Different Voice," which was a book that every grad student in education should have been reading because it was, it was making a serious statement to say that we need to listen to girls and think in different ways about girls' needs, how girls learn, how girls grow, and what opportunities they should have. Um, David and Myra Sadker had a book in the late 80s about how girls were not called on in class, weren't given opportunities in advanced level courses, um, were being deprived of leadership opportunities. And so if the context is to remember that girls weren't having opportunities, it's not surprising that all boys schools were seen by many places by many people to be hopelessly sexist or um, misogynist. And that the only way, in fact, Rick Holly talked about toxic masculinity, um, that there was a feeling that the only way to save boys was to have them in co-ed settings where the girls would civilize the boys. And that did play out not only in the number of schools that became co-ed, but also in the decline of applications to many boys' schools, public, or excuse me, both day and boarding. So it was, it was a serious situation um, from, from the practical standpoint of whether schools could c- continue, but also whether they should. I think part of what started to happen is that At least a small group of school leaders of boys' schools said, well, let's slow down a little bit here and let's ask the question seriously about whether boys' schools have a place in modern society, modern being the late 80s and early 90s. And the group that in the U.S. was kind of the, the progenitor of IBSC was a group called the Boys' Schools Conversation. And I don't know if people have heard about this, but it was as simple as this. Rick Hawley, the head of university school in Cleveland, and Tony Jarvis, his close friend who had been at U.S. and was the head then at Roxbury Latin, said, let's get together a group of a dozen or so heads of boys schools and talk about whether we have a reason to exist. And that conversation was a small group of heads who I think gained strength from one another. I I remember going to my first one actually after I'd been appointed at Belmont Hill in 93 and there was a little bit of it that felt like I was at AA. It's sort of, hi, I'm Rick, and I'm head of a boys' school. <laughs> it, was, it was not, yeah. it was not yeah. pretty. There was a level of defensiveness which was, which was quite strong. And, and there was reason to have to feel defensive. Part of what she did, I, well, so let me stop there and, and say that. But that, I think, is an important understanding that there were major cultural forces strongly pushing against the existence of boys' schools. So so would I
1: be right in saying there that one of the main goals of the organization, or as it it was established, was to advocate for the kind of boys' education that didn't necessarily fit the stereotype but did imbue boys with the right values and the right ways of seeing the world and interacting with the world?
2: Uh, Yes, I think that's precisely right. And and yet there's even more. I think part of where I took heart in all of this is that as important as Gilligan's work was, when she said girls have a different voice, well, that means that boys have a different voice too. And we needed to learn to listen to that, not because it was the default, but because, because boys may learn and work differently. And boys had their own challenges to face. Holly wasn't wrong when he talked about toxic mas- masculinity, because there was a worry that the, at least there was a stereotype of boys and boys schools about being tough, being strong, being bullies, you know, all the, you know, being, not having emotions, a lot of the things that men, some men are still trapped by um, in our, in our world. And so there was a need to talk about that. Where I think IBSC took flight so quickly is to say, there are other ways to think about boys and men. Boys, in fact, do have a range of emotions and we can tap those. Um, And in fact, part of the work I certainly did at Belmont Hill and and I think many colleagues at many boys schools have done is said, we can make, we should make a progressive case for boys schools because boys, when they are together, if we do it right, have wonderful opportunities to think about the full range of what it means to be male and to be human. And in fact, some coed schools will lock boys into stereotypes again. I can't be in the, in the glee club because you know, boy, that's not mannish you know, that kind of stuff, or I have to act like a jock, or I have to act non-intellectual or anti-intellectual, because that's what boys and guys are supposed to do. And boys' schools obviously could get past some of that. So there was real work to do in the early years. I think part of what's been so important, if I, if I can continue this from a historical perspective, and as a historian, I can't help myself, I think a huge flashpoint came in the late 90s, um, at least in the U.S., and that was with Columbine and the, the killing at, at Columbine High School in Colorado. And at the same time that Bill Pollock had published Real Boys and Michael Thompson had published Raising Cain, all of these things were happening at about the same time and saying, we need to think about boys being in trouble, boys even in crisis. And there was a, a, a fresh look at the condition of boys and men in American society, and I think in many places around the world, and there had been a significant shift. One of the girls were being more successful in school. There was less truancy, there was less suicides, there was less, uh, there was less discipline. And, and when one started to look statistically, instead of, it's not to say that there weren't issues for girls still to address, or that we needed to address in, in, on behalf of girls. There was a lot to say, we need to think about how we can help boys. And it's not a zero sum game. And I think part of what IBSC did is to to get past that either or business and get us more to thinking about how we needed or had an opportunity to help boys through boys' schools.
1: Yeah, I think one of one of the things those of us who joined IBSC in the in more recent times, what we benefit from is the wealth of thinking and research that I think was started in those early years and has grown into something significant in the coalition. Um, How did, how did that sort of take shape? Was there a, was right from the beginning, was there a sense that this could be a group of people who could be, leading thinking about educating boys globally Um, and it seems like that's what happened naturally but um, was that part of the initial thinking
2: it was part of the initial thinking and it one of the most heartening dimensions i think of, of ibsc's evolution part of what was exciting about going to different countries and within very few years we had been in canada and the uk and australia and South Africa, which took a little longer to get there in New Zealand, but, but we were there and, and in going, doing those conferences and hearing leading speakers from different countries, we were getting a chance to hear leading thinking from, from many, from many places and many voices. I think also the early adoption of action research as a model for our organization, I think gave this a lot of strength and resonance from the beginning that here was a way to do research which didn't depend on tens of thousands of dollars of research funds being apportioned, but rather a statement that our faculties could do this work. Yeah, and the the archive we now have of hundreds of
1: research projects in context in boys' schools is is remarkable, to be honest. I agree. (laughs) Rick, you know, as you look back in your years of involvement with IBSC. What are some of the highlights for you, You know, achievements of the organization that you remember as particularly significant?
2: I think the commitment to being truly international was an important statement and I think was really quite forward-looking and forward-thinking. Yes, we had to organize as a 501c3 within the United States so that we got into some challenges just to make sure we could do everything legally and make sure everybody could vote. But, but other than that, I think that commitment was a, was a big step forward. I think also the rather quick focus on the annual conference as the centerpiece of the coalition proved to be a great step forward for us. It was once a year, everyone could look forward to it. I think schools who were hosts, Kept outdoing one another in their desire to offer a really good program and a really good gathering, and that's been consistent from the beginning. It's schools having an opportunity to put their best foot forward, and that's been that's been wonderful. And I have found so many IBSC heads who say that pound for pound, the best professional development opportunity of the year comes from the IBSC conference. There are more good quality speakers, programs, opportunities for time with colleagues from other places than, than any other conference anybody knows.
1: You know, what started with a group, a very small group with with John and other directors of admissions, having a conversation and some other conversations with heads happening into something that now has this kind of reach. Could you ever have imagined that that would be the case?
2: No, not not really. We were we are sort of going uh, not day to day, at least year to year to see what there was to make of this. And I think it's also important to remember that the levels of uncertainty about admissions continued for some time. And I think continued to this day for some schools. And I, if there's anything I worry about it's, and I don't worry about this for IBC, but, but complacency would not be a good place for IVSC to land. I think there are going to continue to be challenges. In fact, last evening I was, reading a copy of the New Yorker from last month. And there's a book review um, by Zoe Heller talks about in the, the subtitle is how toxic is masculinity really, you know, that the, the ideas and concerns about masculinity are, are and need to continue to be in the, in the workspace. So we've, we've got work to continue to do.
1: And probably more important than ever for us to, as a coalition put our heads together and and figure out how best to educate boys, particularly in this moment of time. I wonder if um, we could pivot to thinking a little bit about the present and maybe the future, Rick, because as we said before, as I said to you before we started recording, what I love about history is how it can inform our presence and our, our future. And you've alluded to the fact now that the challenges aren't waning. In fact, they might... Be similar or even uh, more intense than they were but if you if you had to give the educators of boys um, boys schools leaders in boys schools some advice about how they might approach the challenges and opportunities that boys schools currently face based on the lessons learned over the years as an organization as IBSC um, even in those early years as a group of of heads who started the organisation, uh, what can we learn from from how those challenges were 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 taken on?
2: Well, I, I I don't want to be presumptuous. I think each school leader has his or her own right way of leading a particular school with its issues. At the same time, I think that part of what has marked the IBSC from the beginning and has been so exciting and affirming is that we've tried to look forward, not look backward in thinking about what's best for children. And by children, I am inclusive. And I would never presume to say that a boy's school is right for all boys any more than a girl school is right for all girls. For parents making these decisions, families have to make decisions what's right for their child. In that context, then i think the opportunity that still lies in front of us is to say what are the current needs of boys and girls but for as we do our thinking what what are the what are the kinds of skills and values that we want boys to have as they go out into the world and if if that's our north star then i think the work not only can continue but but can easily and happily and must continue
1: and then just as we as we close off this this time together, what words of encouragement might you have um, for those in boys schools currently
2: well i I think all of us who have the have had the privilege of working in boys schools know the the joy that can come from working with boys and trying to understand them, and they are not I don't know I won't get into a nature versus nurture conversation here but or debate but but we boys are different from girls and when when we work to understand that and embrace it and and get the boys then then wonderful things happen and I so I think I think the mission remains important and valid and also part of what IBSC has done for so many of us has been a place of not only learning, but of joy and joyful learning and collegial time. Uh, we've uh, some of my closest friends in this profession came because we met through IBSC, and we had a shared sense of mission and purpose. And so we did good work. We did purposeful work that continues in a way that I think is is really exciting. And there's. It, we are not generic schools. There's something quite distinctive about a school that decides that it wants to be four boys. And when we remember that, uh, then then good things happen. And certainly having the chance to be in Dallas this past June and just seeing the warmth and energy and spirit and drive of that group of men and women together was affirming that here some 30 years into the mission the the mission lives and and will continue and needs to continue
1: Rick this has been uh, such a privilege for me to speak to you today and to get some insight and I think so many of us are grateful to you too for the role you played early on and have continued to play over um, three decades worth of of work around the world in in boys schools so Thank you not only for your contribution to the small project, but thank you too for your contribution to um, the growth and sustainability of this organization that so many of us are passionate about.
2: Well, thank you for for those kind and and generous words. It has been a joy and a privilege for me to do this work, and I look forward to watching the coalition continue to thrive as, as it goes forward.